0: I've been told I'm supposed to record, so I got to make sure my phone is actually recording here. I think it is now. Uh, all right, so we're going to get started. Hopefully, everyone either has a blue sheet or can is in with sight, within sight line of a blue sheet. We're going to start. We're going to start with the blue sheet. Um, we won't do everything on it. Uh, we'll do a few things here. All right. Uh, so we'll start right there at the beginning with the invocation, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And if you flip the page over, you'll find the memory work for the week in the middle page. And we'll start with the Bible verse for the week from 1 Timothy 2 for there is one god and there is one mediator between god and men the man christ jesus and what is this we just said the second article of the creed so we'll we'll jump straight to the meaning what does this mean i believe that jesus christ true god begotten of the father from eternity and also true man born of the virgin mary is my lord Who has redeemed me a lost and condemned person purchased and won me from all sins from death and from the power of the devil not with gold or silver but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death all right so so uh, that's if those of you who know the catechism you're very very well aware that that is not the entire meaning of the second article so, uh, in the Congregation at Prayer here, we're slowly working through the Catechism, and, uh, and the Creed is especially important because it is the, uh, the summary of Christian doctrine, right? So, so if you know the Creed, you have a very basic summary of what it means to be a Christian, right? To believe in the, in the Holy Trinity, and to believe in the work of Jesus on our behalf, right? Um, but anyway that means so instead of just having one week on each article, since there's so much packed into each article of the Creed, uh, we're taking multiple weeks, I think at least three weeks on uh, the first article and the third article. Um, and because the second article uh, has to do with the person, Jesus Christ right, God in the flesh, and our salvation, uh, we're actually taking four weeks on the second article. So each week we'll add another line to the meaning and by the and in two weeks from now, We'll go through the whole meaning of the second article of the Apostles' Creed there. Um, so, so, uh, so that's why we didn't do the whole thing today. We're, we're slowly building. And if you actually, uh, if you take a look at the readings on the previous page, if you should take it upon yourself to do these readings through the week. So last week, the focus of the readings was Jesus as God, right? So various readings that, that, that turn our attention toward the fact that Jesus is the eternal Son of the Father, that he is very God of very God, begotten, not made, right? That he is eternal, and that he is God. So we had, uh, we had John 1, right, where we hear that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We had some of the miracles of Jesus, that, uh, that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins precisely because the Son of Man is God, right? Uh, This week, the the focus has shifted a little bit. So last week, we had Jesus as the eternal Son of God. This week, we have Jesus as true man. Um, So the first two weeks of the Creed here, we're really focusing on the two natures of Christ, right? That he is God and that he is man. So this week, if you were to follow the readings, you'll hear about uh, the conception of Jesus within the womb of Mary, his birth, um, both from Luke and from Matthew, I know we're in Advent, for the, but for the sake of the weekly devotions, we are jumping to Christmas just for this week. Um, and then you hear about what it means that the man, Christ Jesus, is our mediator, uh, which you also heard on Wednesday evening if you were at Thanksgiving. Uh, the reading from Hebrews, Christ was like us in every respect. So, so our great high priest is not one who doesn't sympathize with our weakness, but he sympathizes with our weakness because he too was human, like us, In every respect and then the readings for Saturday uh, if you use the congregation of prayer don't tend to fit the theme of the rest of the readings precisely because the readings for Saturday the reading for Saturday is always the gospel for the next day Sunday Um, so that means a week from today we'll hear from the gospel of Matthew in church we'll hear from the gospel of Matthew the preaching of John the Baptist and so the, the the reading for Saturday is just meant to be a preparation for, um, for the divine service on Sunday morning. Uh, the next part of the memory work here, we have the hymn. Uh, I chose this hymn specifically to go along with the creed because, because in the hymn, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, we have... Um, it's written by Martin Luther, and he presents us really the story of salvation. So we have... He has like a first verse where he, it's kind of just a, a verse of praise to God, uh, that we uh, that we rejoice because of the wondrous things our God has done. Um, and then the next two verses paint us a very, um, it's a very pictorial way to describe our sin. So fast bound in Satan's chains I lay, uh, sin brooded darkly o'er me, sin was my torment night and day, and sin my mother bore me. Daily deeper still I fell, my life became a living hell, so firmly sin possessed me. And and then Luther tells us what we can't do to get out of our sins. So then he says, My own good works all came to naught, no grace or merit gaining. Free will against God's judgment fought, dead to all good remaining. My fears increased from sheer despair, left only death to be my share. The pangs of hell I suffered. And then, uh, right as we started the second article of the Creed, uh, with our catechism focus, then we got the turning point of the hymn, right? Uh, But God had seen my wretched state before the world's foundation, and mindful of his mercies great, he planned for my salvation, right? And that plan for salvation, of course, was nothing else than that the Father sent his only begotten Son into human flesh to bear our sin and be our Savior, right? Um, And so we're moving on, right? And so um, last week, the verse was... um, God said to his beloved son, it's time to have compassion. Then go, bright jewel of my crown, and bring to all salvation. From sin and sorrow, set them free, slay bitter death for them, that they may live with you forever. And, uh, and this week, we get the response to that. We get the response of the son. Um, does everyone know we don't have a piano in here? If we had a piano in here, I'd, I'd just play along and we'd, and we'd sing it. But we have enough people in here. I think we have enough people who know it. Y'all know this too now, dear Christians, one and all rejoice. Uh, so let's just go ahead and give it a shot. This verse here stands as six for dear Christians, one and all rejoice. Alright. The son obeyed his father's will, was born a virgin mother, and God's good pleasure to fulfill. He came to be my brother. His royal power disguised he bore, a servant's form like mine he wore, to lead the devil captive. Yeah, and here we actually get more of this two natures talk, right? We have uh, Christ having royal power that's being proper to his divine nature. And yet, what did he do with that royal power? What's what's the stanza say? What did he do with that royal power that he has? He disguised him, right? And and what did did he use to disguise him? What was a disguise done, right? A disguise is usually a covering up something, right? So you put a mask over your face to disguise yourself for makeup or a hat, whatever it is. What is he using to disguise his royal power? A servant's form, uh, right? And and precisely a servant's form and his his flesh, right? He takes on, he comes in the likeness Of sinful human flesh obviously not being a sinner himself um, but he comes in the likeness of us who are sinners right and as a servant right he disguises this royal power um, and he wore a servant's form like mine right so he didn't come uh, simply as God in power but he came in weakness right he came in a weakness of our own flesh Um, and it was by doing that right it's, it's not by bring, coming to earth in his royal power. He comes in a servant's form. He comes in the likeness of our flesh. And what is the result? What does he do by coming in the likeness of our flesh? What does he accomplish by that? What's, I mean, according to the stanza? Yeah, yeah, so we think of God leading the devil captive, right, in the, in the greatness of his power. Um, and in a certain sense, that's true, right? If Christ didn't have the greatness of power that, that uh, is, is proper to him by virtue of his deity, he, there, he would not be able to lead the devil captive. But it's not through a great exercise of the might of that power, but it's rather that power disguised in a servant's form that leads the devil captive. All right, so we'll keep, uh, we'll keep moving through this hymn as the weeks go on. Um, I think the way I've got it planned, is that we'll get to stanza this hymn has ten stanzas um, I think we'll do stanza ten on the week we wrap up the third article and then I'll then I'll have to figure out a, what him we're gonna do uh, when we switch over to the Lord's Prayer uh, sorry right, we'll move on the Lord be with you let us pray Lord God Heavenly Father send forth your son we pray to lead home his bride the church that we may finally enter into his eternal wedding feast through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, turning to announcements for a second before we get into our study for today. Um, I have, so next Sunday is a voters assembly following the late service. All right. I think we'll start at 12:45. Um, the voters' assembly. Uh, the big announcement is the change of venue. The voters' assembly will take place here in the gym, and not in the sanctuary. Um, this is just kind of an effort. The pastors and the elders are coordinating, uh, trying to uh, reserve the use of the sanctuary for for sake. You know, it's a sacred space um, designed for sacred purposes, namely the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. Uh, so we're we're trying to make an effort to reserve that space, especially since we've been at uh, Bethany here. We're blessed to have a very large space here that's not the sanctuary. Um, so so we'll have the voters assembly in here next week at 12:45. Uh, but before that, and as pastor in charge of the youth, this is what I mostly this is what I mostly want to announce is before that, immediately following the 11 o'clock service, um, we'll have in here a pizza lunch. Uh, hosted by the youth, it'll be a free will offering. Uh, we'll have pizza, water uh, available, uh, so that if you go to late service, uh, you don't have to go try to run somewhere and find a quick lunch before the voters assembly. Uh, and also for youth, now, since uh, along with that, if you are a parent of youth from sixth through twelfth grade, uh, we'd love to have them stay around and help with the pizza lunch. And also, I'm still looking for a parent willing to go pick up the pizzas from Costco. Um, during It'll be during late service, so, so hopefully uh, someone from early service uh, would be willing to do that and bring the pizzas back here for the youth. What? Okay, all right, Ty Fox has spoken. Uh, next, this upcoming Saturday, uh, December 3rd is the Ladies Advent Tea. Uh, I encourage you to sign up in the narthex for that. You'll have to bear with me as your devotion leader, uh, but outside of that, it should, it should be a fun day. Um, <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, I think I think they get the. I've seen pictures from past years. I think I think they get the men to do the serving, and the ladies get to sit and uh, enjoy a nice breakfast, some coffee. Uh, I know uh Linda here has been working hard on that, so. It's not too late, so if you have a chance uh, and you're available on Saturday, please, if you're a lady, you sign up for that in the narpex. Uh And it's important that you sign up so that we have enough food. Uh, if you've noticed, if you've been to church yet today, uh, you might have noticed. If not, you will notice when you go to church, uh, the church is now decorated for Christmas, except for one very traditional, important Christmas decoration that comes out for Christmas itself, and that is the poinsettias. Um, so there is a sign-up for poinsettias at the um, The base of the stair at the sign-up table at the base of the stairs So deadline is next Sunday So if you'd like to purchase a poinsettia to beautify our church and then to take home to beautify your home sign up by next Sunday uh, Also in line with the Christmas decorating there are now two Christmas trees in the narthex uh, Those are giving trees. So they're decorated with thing with ornaments that you take that you can go purchase something to give to those less fortunate. I think this year we're someone might need to help me remember. We're contributing to a school in the city, um, Christ the King Lutheran School in the city. There many of their students um, will not be able to afford uh, to have any sort of presents at Christmas. So um, there's that. And what's the what's the other thing? Pads, Naperville pads. Um, so I think it's pretty self-explanatory. When you get to the tree and take an ornament, there will be instructions and directions for what to do before you come back next week. Also, another selfish sort of announcement for my own purposes, next weekend, uh, next Sunday, at about 3 p.m., the youth are going to go Christmas caroling, and then the youth will come back here for their own party, uh, but we wanted to extend the uh, Christmas caroling invitation to the whole congregation. Um, so we'll so we'll go see some of our shut-ins. Uh, I'm going to try to get us maybe into a couple of nursing homes uh, so we can spread a uh, The joy, the joy that we have here at Christmas, uh, the joy that we have at the birth of Christ uh, with those who can either not come to church or those who are uh, locked up in, locked up, that's a bad word, who are, um, unfortunately, it's not all the time super uh, inaccurate, uh, those who are confined to nursing homes and cannot uh, otherwise get out. So uh, we'd love, we'd love to have as many people as as possible come and join us for that. Um, The more voices the merrier. If you are interested in doing that, or are sure you can, either way, if you wouldn't mind either dropping me an email or uh, giving me a phone call, just just so I have an idea um, of the number that we're that we're working with. Uh, so that's next Sunday at 3 p.m., and then the youth will come back here for for pizza and games and and a Christmas-themed party. And then, of course, we still have our weekly midweek divine services on Wednesday mornings at 11:15. And then, starting this week, because it's Advent, we will have Wednesday evening uh, evening prayer services at 6:30. Uh, so, please, if you are able, uh, put make those part of your part of your schedule for the week. Uh, all right, I think that's all the announcements, unless anyone knows of a glaring omission. All right. So there was a handout that I worked really, really hard on, and by really hard, I mean. Um, well, I had to figure out how to met, let Lutheran service builder, let me copy, but I figured it out. So I, uh, all right. So we, um, all right. So the hint, the hint, the handout here is the hymn, uh, once he came in blessing and I'd like to do this just to kind of set the tone, uh, for what I want to talk about a little bit for what I want to talk about here in the main portion of our, of our adult Bible study this morning. Uh, so we're not going to sing it. I don't know how familiar this one's not quite as this tune maybe isn't quite as familiar. Uh, but I I just want to go through the hymn and and it really is one of the best hymns to kind of set us up for for the theme of Advent. All right. So before we get into each stanza, uh, take a look at the first line of the first three stanzas, and and, and it kind of and it kind of sets us up for. For how we want to think about the season of Advent. So the first stanza starts with "Once he came in blessing." Stanza two begins, "Now he gently leads us," and the, and the third stanza um, says, "Begins soon will come that hour." All right. So, so we have three. The, just the very first word of the first three stanzas are all words that denote. Uh, that denote what? Time, right? All right, so we have once. It's the beginning of many, it's the word that begins many a fairy tale, right? And uh, normally, the fairy tale beginnings go once upon a time, and once upon a time typically means uh, what sort of era are you thinking of when a story begins once upon a time? A long, long time ago, right? George Lucas tweaked it for Star Wars and made it a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, But uh, the fairy tales used once upon a time, and it usually is noted, used to denote something that happened in the past. Obviously the word now uh, is telling us what's going on now. Current. Or present. And then we, the last one starts with that that word soon, which clearly is indicating something that will happen in the future. All right, so these words are all describing the advent theme that we, that, uh, that we like to call the threefold coming of Christ. All right? And that's really the, the theme of advent. So so the first line of the first stanza, once he came, in blessing and what's that mean that he came in blessing well all our sins redressing came in likeness lowly son of god most holy again two nature stuff right there likeness lowly our human nature son of god most holy divine nature bore the cross to save us hope and freedom gave us so once he came it says in blessing and what did Christ do when he came in blessing? What is it that he did that made his first coming one of blessing? By order of his father. Okay, he came by order of his father, right? So the God is the Father sends. But what is it about what Christ did in his first coming that means a blessing for us? To save us, from our sins. to save us from our sins, right? So our sins redressing. Well, that's a kind of obscure word in order to fit the rhyme scheme, but you know it works. Um, But what we really get there, our sins redressing, and then bore the cross to save us, right? I mean, that is why Christ came the first time, right? Was to bear the cross, to bear our sins, to be crucified, in order to save us. And then by saving us, he then gives us, of course, the result of that is hope and freedom. So blessing, uh, he comes for salvation. All right, the second coming of Christ... We have now. He gently leads us. What's the next line there? With himself, he feeds us precious food from heaven. Pledge of peace here given, manna that will nourish souls that they may flourish. What's this? What's this stanza describing? What does that mean? Yeah, the communion, the Lord's supper, right? Eating and drinking, right? So the secondfold coming of Christ is how he comes now. The second of the threefold coming of Christ is how he comes now. How Christ comes to us in our lives as we live in this earth here at this point in 2022, uh, drawing to a close. But anyway, so He comes now um, to lead us and feed us. So uh, now this stance is very, con- very concerned. Uh, it's very concentrated on Lord's Supper language. Um, but if we if we take this Lord's Supper language and expand it out into a more general theme, how is it? that Christ comes now, what might we say besides just the Lord's Supper? God's Word. Okay, His Word. So we've got God, so we have Word, we have the Supper, and then what else might we add? What else might we add to that? Baptism. Baptism and then if you want to be a really cool cat, you might say confession, absolution. But we would call this, of course, the Word at Sacraments, Right? All right, so he comes in word and sacraments, and that is how he comes now, and how he will continue to come to us um, until he comes again in, in glory. Um, and so, this now he gently leads us. This word and sacrament language. Um, where does this? Where does this take place? Where does Christ administer his word and sacraments? In the church, in the church right? Um, Christ's holy church is where his word is preached and gathers. Those who hear and believe His word into His holy His holy um, His holy flock, uh, Luther says. Um, he's talking about in small-called articles. In one point, Luther is going on about how terribly uh, the Roman Catholic understanding of the church is, and then he has this little quip: "Well, even though they can't get it, thank God, even a seven-year-old can understand what the church is, namely sheep uh, who hear the voice of their shepherd." Right. So, so when the word is preached, and then the flock gathers around the shepherd and receives from him, right? He leads them to still waters. He spreads a table before them. He fills a cup to overflowing, right? So this is all going on, of course. So Christ now comes among his church through word and sacraments. And then the soon, as the hymn puts it, or the future, the next coming, this coming of Christ, uh, what do we call that? The second coming, the last day, judgment day, all all good ways to put it, right? So, second coming. The end of time, right? The time when time will cease. Alright, so soon will come that hour, when with mighty power, Christ will come. And this time, how does he come? If you take a look, if you're reading along with the verses, Christ, so the first time he what? once he came in blessing, now he gently leads us, soon will come that hour, when with mighty power, Christ will come in splendor. Alright? So we heard from dear Christians, one and all, rejoice a little bit earlier, that he's disguising his royal power when he puts on our flesh and our servants' floor. But then he will come in splendor. His royal power will not be hidden, right? And then in that splendor, what will he do? He will judge. And will judgment render. Um, and... and on, on the face of it, right, That's that can cause some real fear and trepidation, right? Uh, to ponder what it means that Christ, the eternal Son of God, will come in his splendor, no longer cloaked in a servant's form, and that he's coming to judge, right? Uh, that's actually a scary thing to think about it, especially when you think about life in terms of your own sins and shortcomings. But because he came both of these two ways, right, because he first, because he came in blessing, and he comes now to us through the word and sacraments, what what does that day mean then for the faithful? What does the second coming mean for the faithful? Eternal life, life, all right, or as, as the hymn here puts it, with the faithful sharing, joy beyond comparing, right? Um, So, this coming of Christ, apart from these two comings of Christ, is nothing but fear and judgment and ultimately then, damnation, right? If Christ does not come in these two ways, if he doesn't come first in blessing and now through his word and sacraments to call us to faith, this would be, this third coming, this soon, this future, this second coming, would be nothing but terror. But since he has come once in blessing, and now through the word and sacraments, that means his second coming for the faithful will be a sharing of incomparable joy, right? Uh, And and it is because of these two that now our fear of the second coming of Christ is dispelled. And so we don't fear Christ's second coming. What is our attitude now toward the second coming? Come Come Lord Jesus, right? And this finally thrusts us into stanza four, right? So stanzas one through three describe the threefold coming of Christ, and then stanza four... Uh, is a prayer, right? Come then, O Lord Jesus, uh, from our sins release us. Keep our hearts believing that we grace receiving, ever may confess you, till in heaven we bless you, right? And so, and so now this fourth stanza is kind of describing what we are doing in the now and what we will do in the soon coming or in the second coming, right? So now we ask that Christ would what? What do we want Christ to do for us now? What are we praying for here? To keep our, keep our hearts believing, right? Um, because it is through faith that we receive what? Grace. Grace, right? So the gracious redemption of Christ on the cross is an objective fact. Um, but that is received by us. The, the benefits of that are only applied to us through faith, right? So, so we pray that Christ would keep us in the faith, that he would keep our hearts believing, that we would continue to receive his grace in this life, so that here in this life we may ever confess him, right? Because that is what a believing heart does. A believing heart does not keep silent, but, a be, but faith always leads to, a, to, a, to an outward confession, right? So if I believe in Christ, I confess Christ. Uh, there's no other option. Uh, if I don't confess Christ, um, then it means that there is not actually faith. Alright? So, so now we're praying that Christ would keep our hearts believing so that we would receive his grace, which then leads to an outward confession, because those who are, because those who are believing and by virtue of believing confessing, uh, what, what is the final result for them? What is the final result for those of us who now in this life believe and confess Christ? Heaven. heaven, right? So we pray that in this life we would continue to believe Christ, receive his grace, and confess him so that in eternity we will ever bless him in heaven. And by, and by bless, uh, the word for bless here is really drawn from the Greek eulageo, um, where we get the word eulogy so we pray that we would eulogize christ up. and the word eulogy does not actually mean just like saying nice things about a dead person eulogy actually just the word means good speech Eulogatum, good speech up. so there's actually two words for bless and so if we're ever the one doing the blessing it means speak well of. it's almost a synonym for praise all right So when in the divine service we say, let us bless the Lord, we don't mean we're somehow giving God a bunch of good stuff that he doesn't have, right? Uh, Because uh, anything we have to give to God that he doesn't have already is simply our sins and wretchedness, right? Uh, So when we say, let us bless the Lord, it is actually an outpouring, uh, it's actually similar to that confession, right? It is a praising of God. Um, that flows from the good things that he has done for us. And the blessings that he gives to us. Which is actually a different word. So when God is the subject in doing the blessing. It talks about the salvation. And the good things that he gives us that we don't have. And then when we return by. We, we, when, we, uh, when we speak back to God for that blessing. And we say we bless God. It means we're praising his name for the good things he has done for us. Alright. So ever may confess until in heaven. We bless you. All right. So that is the threefold coming of Christ that really kind of um, shapes the way we think about Advent. So today, what I want to do is simply just take a look at some of the propers, and I hope you either have a Bible in front of you, or if you have one on your phones, that'll that'll work just as well. Uh, and when you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to first turn to Matthew twenty-one. And then if you happen to have a bulletin in front of you, that might be handy. Uh, if not, that's all right. Um, what I want to do is just simply show and describe the, um, the way that the propers here for the first Sunday in Advent are interacting with the threefold coming of Christ. And you could do this for all the Sundays in Advent, but I only have today to teach. And uh, I think next week Pastor Schumacher is going back to um, teaching on the, different, the various nativity accounts. Um, in, the, in the Gospels. Alright, so the, um, the reading that governs all the propers, the reading that really influences the rest of the propers, so by, does everyone know what I mean by when I say proper? Alright, so, so in the divine service, we have there's kind of two categories. There's things we call ordinaries and things we call propers. And an ordinary is something we do every week. So the invocation, you would call it an ordinary, right? Because there's not a week that we don't have the invocation, right? And it doesn't change between. Uh, The Kyrie, it's an ordinary. Uh, The Gloria Excelsis is an ordinary except for when it falls out of use in Advent and Lent. Uh, But other than that, it's an ordinary. And so these are things that aren't really tied to the readings um, per se. These are things that give shape to the divine service so that every divine service... As a complete confession of Christ uh, and is is pointing to what he has done for us. So so that's why the Nicene Creed is one of our ordinaries. We hear about the incarnation, death, resurrection of Christ. Uh, The sacrament of the altar is an ordinary, right? Because Christ says do this. And so all the things surrounding the sacrament of the altar we do every time we have the Lord's Supper because that is confessing what we believe about the Lord's Supper. and it is also then preparing our hearts to receive the gifts of the Lord's Supper. All right. So ordinaries are things that we do every week. Propers are things that change. Um, so things like the introit. We have an intro introit every week, but it's a different text every week. Usually a text from a psalm or from the Old Testament. Um, the next proper would be the collect of the day. All right. Uh, that prayer that we say immediately after the glory Excelsis or the Kyrie, uh, if, it's at, if, if the case happens to be Advent or Lent, that prayer changes every day. Um, all three readings are propers. All right? So, so what, we, what I want to do is just um, describe a little bit how the propers for today profess the threefold coming of Christ. Um, but the reason I'm turning you to Matthew 21 uh, is because we... we uh, Historically, the reading, the Gospel reading, that gives, and the Gospel reading is what's really driving the other prophets, right? So our fathers in the faith, hundreds of years ago, when they were first picking out the readings that now form what we call the one-year lecture, which is not what we use here. Uh, so they, you know, they picked, you know, they, they chose the Gospel, and then everything else really is tending toward the Gospel reading. Uh, the reading of the Holy Gospel is the, is the first high point in the service, all right? So we have the the reading of the Gospel, and then the next high point of the service um, is the sacrament of the altar. So, So during this first part of the service, all the propers are gearing us up toward the Gospel. And the historic Gospel for this first Sunday in Advent is the triumphal entry, so Palm Sunday, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so everything, all the other propers then, including the Epistle, the Old Testament, as we step back, the collect and the introit are all thrusting us toward Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, throughout history, um, things have changed. So back in the 60s at the Second Vatican Council, they came up with a new lectionary that instead of repeating every year, repeats every three years. Um, and that's what we use here. It's the three-year lectionary. You do get a lot more. You do get a bigger portion of the scriptures read in this lectionary. Um, uh, and and then the other benefit of the three year, you might say, is, um, is that each year, so year A is uh, you hear the gospel according to Matthew, and you kind of get a sense for the way Matthew's gospel is all linked together. Year B, you get Mark, year C, you get Luke. Uh, so this year being a new church year, we just jumped back into Uh, Lectionary Series A, and so this next coming year, you'll hear a lot of reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Um, But even in the three-year lectionary, for the first Sunday in Advent, the the first reading suggested is the triumphal entry, either according to Matthew or Mark or Luke. But then they also have an alternate gospel reading in case you really want to focus on the end times. Uh, And so for today, that alternate reading was Matthew 24, and that's what we did in church this morning. Uh, But I did want to point you, though, to Matthew 21 in the triumphal entry, uh, precisely because that is what the other propers are really leading us up to, um, especially like the intro. So, So from Matthew 21, the first 11 verses. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the full of a beast of burden. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. All right? So so Advent, we're we're kind of gearing up toward Christmas, right? It's the four Sundays immediately before Christmas. And remember, Advent is kind of be summarized in these three comings of Christ. So why is it that our that our fathers in the faith would have chosen a reading that really sounds like it ought to be at the beginning of Holy Week for the first Sunday of Advent. What is, why, why do we so frequently hear the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Advent 1? Is it because he's identified as the Messiah? Okay, well that's, okay, certainly. So he's identified as the Messiah. Uh, but think in terms of, of the three commonings. What's going on as Jesus is entering Jerusalem here on this donkey? I was just going to say, it's, it's kind of, it seems like it's a preparation for his coming. Um, you know, we're about to celebrate his first coming. Right. Okay, so so let's think. What is Jesus, this first coming here, once he came in, bless, in blessing, blessing, salvation, freedom from sins, all right? Uh, how is that tied to the triumphal entry in Jerusalem? Precisely, right? So Jesus isn't coming into Jerusalem to go sit on a throne in somewhere in the temple, right? Or he's not coming into Jerusalem to go kick Herod out of the king's palace to take his throne there. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to sit on the throne of the cross, right? In order to save us from our sins. Now that's certainly not what the... The crowd probably doesn't realize that that's what Jesus is doing. Uh, but the, the response is right. So... So we have Jesus coming for the salvation of his people. All right, and so and so, that's, so with this quote from Zechariah here, Behold, your king is coming to you. Uh, but they actually left out a little part of it. Matthew, Matthew is trying to show that Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy, but I once had a professor say uh, that when, you, uh, when you're reading through the Gospels and you have one verse of an Old Testament text quoted, the entire passage... <laughs> from that Old Testament text is at play, all right? So if Matthew quotes, uh, let's, let's use a different example for a moment, then we'll come back to this one. So when Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, what, where does that come from in the Old Testament? Psalm 22. Psalm 22. So we only have Jesus recorded as saying those first two lines, but if we're trying to understand why Jesus is saying that from the cross, um, when we hear him quote just the first two lines, that whole psalm is at play here. So it's when, when, when someone quotes just a little snippet, it's as though they're, it's as though they're bringing in the whole passage. Alright, so uh, if you have your bulletin, you can just open up to the intro. It. Uh, if not, you can turn in your Bibles to Zechariah uh, chapter 9. And we'll start at verse 9. And could someone just read us just all of verse 9? Uh, I wish we had time to go through the whole passage, but we don't. Uh, what is all of Zechariah nine? 9? So which lines did Matthew leave out? And for good reason. Which, which of those two lines from Zechariah 9-9 there did Matthew not quote? Well, he asked, Behold your king. Here, if you have Zechariah open, you follow along and I'll read out of Matthew here. Uh, you're right. He does, I guess you're right. He, does, he, he, flips, he flips a couple things. Um, you're right. he, so he leaves out, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. But he leaves out another line in the middle. So say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the full of a beast of burden. Righteous and having, having salvation, right? Um, but that is precisely what's going on here, right? See, your king is coming to you. This, this guy that's sitting on the donkey here, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. And nevertheless, he's sitting not on a war steed, but a, but a donkey, all right? So, so here we've got Jesus is coming for salvation, right? This entry, even though it looks, uh, it's pompous and triumphal, um, it's, it's really Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' procession to his death. But the death by which he wins for us salvation and victory over sin, over death, and over the devil. Alright? So we have from Matthew there. So, we have, so this is why our fathers in the faith um, wanted us to hear this on Advent 1. Because, the, because they want to set up before we talk more about these that Jesus came once for blessing and salvation. That Jesus came to save us from our sins, all right. So now, if we jump backwards a little bit, how am I doing? What time is it? Forty-four. We don't have that much time. This always goes faster than I think it does. All right. So if we jump back to the introit, we have some. We have our as our antiphon. The antiphon is just the verse at the very beginning of the introit, and then that verse that follows the Gloria Patri. Um, they're the same verse. It's repeated. So the antiphon we have from Zechariah 9.9, 9, and then we have some um, readings from, from Psalm 18, or some verses from Psalm 118. So we have, "Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation." Uh, and that's obviously paired with the triumphal entry, because uh, obviously in the gospel accounts of the triumphal entry, uh, that verse from Zechariah is quoted, right? So behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation." Uh, save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is he who comes from the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Uh, why those? Why that verse of Psalm one eighteen uh, for a gospel reading of the triumphal entry? That's what the crowd. Was That's what the crowd is saying, right? So Matthew is telling Matthew in the, in his gospel is preaching to everyone that the man on the donkey is their coming king, and then we get this. Uh, line from Psalm 118, the crowds were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. All right, so um, so this this intro is very, very much pointing us toward triumphal entry. Uh, The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us, Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horn of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. All right, so so this is all kind of, sort of tending. This is all kind of, sort of tending toward that first coming of Jesus, but then the lines do get a little bit blurred between the first coming and how he comes now, especially when we think liturgically. And why is that? Where else do we hear "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord" and "Hosanna in the highest"? The Sanctus, right? And and the Sanctus is placed where? Right before the Lord's Supper. Right before one of those very specific ways that Christ is coming to us now. All right? So once he came in blessing, he came into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey, on his way to the cross to save us from our sins. Um, But now we apply the prayer of the crowds to ourselves and to Christ, even as he comes now so they cried out save us and so now we cry out save us all right so so this triumphal entry reading and um, especially since the psalmist is in use very early on liturgically um the singing of hosanna before receiving the lord's supper um reading the triumphal entry also has also brings to our minds the way Christ comes to us now through the Lord's supper, that he feeds us with his own body and blood, that he actually comes into our midst for our salvation by granting us faith through his means of grace. All right, then uh, moving on in these propers, we'll try to blitz through these pretty quickly now so we can get out of here in time for church. Uh, then we have, so in Advent we have three of these great stir-up collects. The third Sunday in Advent's a little bit different. Um, but in the first Sunday we have, Stir up your power, O Lord, and come... That by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Um, so which, which comings of Christ are we talking about when we're praying a, a prayer? Like, stir up your power, O Lord, and come? We're talking future, right? Like we're praying for something to happen. Alright, so we're we're praying, we pray that Christ would come soon. Alright? Come, O Lord. Stir up your power, O Lord. And we're not asking him to come clothed. We're asking him to come in power now. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come. So we're we're praying for the second coming now. uh, That we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance. All right, so suddenly, this collect has taken us from first coming and um, word and sacrament coming and thrust us forward It's Christ's second coming. But precisely because we've already been set up for that by the intro. We've already been reminded of Christ's first coming. We've already been reminded about how Christ comes to us now. And because of that, we can can truly pray for Christ to come again and save us. And then the theme of the first two readings uh, from Isaiah and from Romans. The theme of those first two readings really is second coming language, right? Uh, Isaiah talks about, um, it shall come to pass in the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest mountain. uh, And it shall be lifted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. And decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob. Come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Alright. So so Christ will come again. And he will decide. Right. What's another word for decide? Judge. Right. So he's going to judge. Christ will come again and judge. Um, And following the judgment. That's when there will be an end to the war. Will there, be an end to the, will there be an end to war before Christ comes again? No. no. Now we should pray for it, right? Because it's good for there to be peace. Uh, but the clear promises of God about the end times are that wars won't decrease, they'll actually increase. Things are actually going to keep getting worse. I know that's not super cheery coming up on Christmas time. But it is just the way of a world that is passing away. This world is passing away. It's in the pains of childbirth, uh, it will be destroyed, and even already, it's moving toward that. All right? So the world will be destroyed, and it's passing away, and so things will keep getting worse. So this time that Isaiah is describing when wars will cease, and when weapons of war will be turned into weapons of cultivation and life, not weapons, will be turned into tools of cultivation and life, is obviously referring to Christ's second coming, the last day. And then we have this reading from Romans. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. Then he lists the commandments uh, because love is the fulfilling of the law. And besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. All right, so St. Paul gave you kind of, gives us kind of like a laundry list of things we're supposed to be doing. And why is Paul giving us a list of things to do? What's the point? The point is obviously not to save ourselves from our sins. But what is the point ...of doing these things that Paul instructs us to do. Prepare. Prepare for what? What's coming? Christ is coming back. And He's coming back when? Soon. We don't know. Right. You're right. We don't know. But we know it's soon. It could be any moment now. And since He's coming back soon, we should do all these things now. Alright? So don't make any provision of the flesh to gratify its desires... ...because Christ is coming soon for the hour of salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. He says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. All right, So let us quit walking as if we're in darkness, and let us walk as in the light. Any questions, comments, before we wrap up for today? Alright, well, the Lord... Yes? Alright, if you like coffee at Bible Center, consider signing up uh, on the Coffee Fellowship. Sign up that Dave is leaving over by the door. Uh, Anything anything else for today? Alright, the Lord bless your week, and we'll see you in church.